Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week we demystify digital marketing and help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. We'll cover the right plan to get your amazing business growing online, along with tips and tricks from our upcoming playbook, as well as insights from successful people in the industry. If you're in a B2B business and would like to see your marketing work for you, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, with the right plan, anyone can grow their business online. Welcome back to the B2B playbook podcast. We are your hosts, Kevin and George. Back for another week. Here we are. You excited, Kev? Very excited. This is the last summary episode, um, but also probably the most exciting for most. A lot of uh, good tips, examples. Um, so yeah, really exciting one. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one all week. Before we dive into it, I just want to quickly say at the top that for you B2B marketers and business owners out there, Kevin and I are actually starting as part of building this B2B community, a B2B LinkedIn group. Um, it's called the B2B Marketing Club for business owners. Type it into LinkedIn, come in and join it. Kevin and I are in there. There's other B2B marketers in there. B2B marketing can be a little bit lonely and it's really a, a cool way to connect with others in the space and for people to share resources and knowledge. And yeah, it's a cool place. So come along. Yeah, just a space where people like George and myself will be trying to answer some questions if we can. And uh, yeah, hopefully a safe space for B2B businesses. Yeah, a safe space, Kev. I was actually thinking of um, wanting to start a segment. I know we're starting to evolve as a podcast if we have segments, but a segment <laughs> that's like the B2B gripe of the week. Um, Ooh, if anyone, yeah. Plenty like, of those, plenty yeah, of those. Yeah, if you guys have a, have a gripe out there, it might be that there's just people in your company who just don't get what it is that you're doing or the value that you're bringing. If there's something that you're struggling with, it could be funny, it could be a real problem. Um, email to us or even better, join our LinkedIn group, drop it in there. And um, yeah, we'd love to discuss it in this podcast. Yeah, it should be a good one. Um, hopefully liven up and yeah, make each of us feel not as lonely in the B2B space. That's what this is all about. <laughs> it's all about me being entertained, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a benevolent project more than anything. It definitely Anyway. Is. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, all right, let's get into the final B. Be the best. Now, it's from our framework, the five Bs. Now, Kev, what are our five Bs again for our listeners? Be ready, be helpful, be seen, be better, and be the best. Awesome. Very, very good. Five out of five. <laughs> be the best, Kev. What is be the best about? Well, be the best isn't about being better than everybody else. In some ways it is, but really it's about being the best version that you can be and taking the the best things that are coming out of the industry, B2B space as a whole, and looking to apply some of those things to your own business. And yeah, being the best version of what your business deserves to be. What we covered in the last few weeks is obviously the first four stages, which form the core, particularly the first three stages. They form the core of building a B2B business online and then maximizing that uh, in terms of efficiency. And being the best is about learning specific tactics that have really helped big and small businesses in the B2B space. And then using that as a base to stimulate your own creative juices uh, for applying these ideas in your own business and coming up with new ones along the way. For each of the parts in this final stage, um, which is be the best, what Kevin and I wanted to do was really pull out the parts that we think will be most useful for you. Now, for each of these parts that we discussed, there's actually probably an expert who has built a whole business around teaching each of these, but we don't want you guys to have to go through, try and find out who is the best in neuromarketing or who is the best in webinars, who is the best in funnels. Kevin, I've already done all that work for you. So we want to go through, talk about what are the best parts of of each of those concepts pull them out for you discuss them and then if you really want to go way deeper into each of those we're going to link each of the experts who talk about these concepts um, so you can dive deeper into each of them yourself in later episodes we're going to deep dive into each of these parts as well Um, but really this overview episode is for you to get some great ideas right off the bat and hopefully get the creative juices flowing right from day one yeah, we're here to do the, the hard work and all the reading for you so you don't and test the ideas, sort out the good from the bad so you don't have to do it. It's what we got super excited about when we started in the digital space, hearing all these little ideas, tactics, strategies that businesses use to grow their business. And we want to showcase some of the best ones for you today. Yep, it's why my inbox is absolutely clogged with each of these experts <laughs> and, and why I read they're good and they're bad stuff so you don't have to. And so I get to sweep through the inbox at the end of the day and delete all the ones you've read already. <laughs> I mean, Kevin, I mean, the email's in there or it's not. I mean, why do you need to clear it all out? It's fine. You just search through it. You don't, you don't need to file them away. It's, it's no problem. It's, it's all searchable. Some of us need a zero mail inbox. You know, we abide by that system, George. You're a sicko. <laughs> all right, let's get into the different parts of stage five. We kick it off with funnels. And then we go on to webinars and native advertising. And then we go on to, we spoke about this a bit last week, but co-ops and partnerships, which is really about activating that dream 100 that I love talking about. Then we turn our attention to looking at lead magnets, which is just a very Ooh, specific like lead type magnets. of yep. uh, content. Yeah, George loves yeah. that. Customer lifetime value, a favorite one of yours that we discussed a bit last week, Kev. That's right, that's and right. And then we dig into the value of your email list, which we've spoken a little bit about in some of our more foundational episodes and why it's so important and how you can make great use of that email list. And then we turn our attention to the whole suite of education uh, channels that you can start working on. 
things like podcasts, like we're doing here, or courses, books, seminars, whatever form that that piece of educational content can come in. Then we're going to look at what I was really excited about last week, which is neuromarketing, um, the idea of uh, playing on people's brain chemistry um, to, I guess, manipulate them a little bit to do what you want them to do. You make it sound so sinister, George, but yeah, it's I really know. not. <laughs> well, Kevin, all our listeners have fantastic products that are serving their users. And so really, they're just telling them something that they need to know. That's right. And then last last but not least, um, just a point around thinking outside the box and how to approach that. Uh, all these ideas that we'll cover in all these parts is someone thinking outside of the box at any given time. And we put our two cents into that conversation as well. Well, that was a little bit cute, wasn't it? How we alternated reading out the different parts, Kevin. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully um, not so annoying for the listeners, but maybe actually a little bit easy to listen to. So it's not just one of our voices droning through the different parts. Well, I'll, I'll know in post. And if it's annoying, I'll just uh, take you out and record over. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much you do that. <laughs> not at all, Josh. Not at all. <laughs> all right, let's dig into the first point, funnels. Let's talk about funnels. First of all, what are funnels, Kevin? Man, we really need to have a funnels word count going about how many times we use that word. <laughs> Listeners, if you've been in the marketing space for any amount of time, the word funnels almost comes with just a dirty connotation, isn't it, George? Uh, it's just because <laughs> everyone's trying to sell you one, right? Everyone everyone's is. trying to sell yeah. you their new incredible funnel that generates thirty times, you know, ROI. It seems like a scam. Yeah. It just seems like a scam when yeah. you hear it. But you know, all all things have some truth to them, and I think as as good jokes do. Uh, but in particular with funnels. It's just about a way of seeing your user journey and making sure that you build critical touch points along that journey so that you're leading or pulling users towards a deeper interaction with your business and the call to actions and the value propositions that your business offers. Yeah, you have to move a prospective customer all the way from someone who just finds out about your brand through to eventually buying from you. That journey could take you know, days, months, or possibly even, you know, years for, for some really, really big, slow moving industries. And your funnel is about what steps along the way have you actually planned for them to take to get from learning about your brand to being a paying customer. It's a particularly important point to consider in the B2B space because the journeys are often a lot longer than if it was just transactional buying of a product. And it's important to showcase your business properly to users as they move through the journey and interacting with your business, making sure that they figure out what's the main benefits of using your product or service and where they should really be going towards to maximize the value they get out of that product. The funnels that you set up, or I guess the, the information that you're going to present to a, pers a prospective customer along their journey is going to change depending on the kind of business that you are and how long on average it takes someone to move from prospective buyer to, to buyer. And that brings us really the, the most important thing when you think about funnels is what is your customer's user journey? Uh, you have to have some visibility around that. You have to think about that from your user's point of view and think about what are those touch points that they really get the most value out of in interacting with your business? Is it a piece of content that they often read? Then make sure that when they get to the end of that piece of content, they know where to go next. It points them to another really helpful piece of content that you know a lot of other users are getting value out of. 
So you make sure that that user is getting as much value as they can out of your business before they even really purchase from you. Kev, there are some scenarios that probably a lot of B2B companies um, deal with where you can have a bit more of a plug and play funnel setup. I thought that you and I should probably share those with our listeners as a reward for listening to us. From our own experience, I think probably the, the first one that would come to mind is a lot of you B2B marketers and owners are out there are probably tasked with running webinars at the moment because um, for obvious reasons, offline events, your traditional trade shows just aren't much of a possibility for a lot of people at the moment. Yeah, George, I think that is something that's here to stay as well. Like, um, you know, when we do, when the world comes out of lockdowns and travel restrictions, people have gotten used to doing stuff online. I think it's going to be much more balanced between physical and digital attendance of interactions in the business world. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Yeah, I tend to agree. And it's quite interesting because sometimes a question we get asked is, how do I measure the success of my offline uh, trade show appearance? You know, if you get a booth in a trade show, that can be mm. a little bit difficult to measure. But the great thing is once that stuff starts moving online to webinars, it's a lot easier to measure and it's a lot easier to take advantage of the people who attend um, attend the event. And, and discover your company there. Taking advantage sounds wrong, but uh, <laughs> I, I do get your point that you can you can have a much more meaningful interaction there, and that continues on beyond that uh, first interaction. Yeah, absolutely. And the the way we tend to look at um, maximizing the value of webinars is the before and after. So the b before the webinar is trying to maximize your attendance. So when you go live, you expose the maximum number of people to the brilliant information that you want to share. Wait, George, so you mean a webinar isn't just about running the webinar? No, it is not just about running the webinar. And I'm sure that is half the challenge for a lot of people who are a little bit resource strapped. There's really no point in running it if you don't have a lot of people there actually listening to it. right? Mm, so it's worth point, spending George. some time in building the maximum audience so they can come and listen to everything great that you have to say. That's a piece of gold, listeners. Webinars are not just about the webinar itself. There is a lot of work before and after. Yeah, it's not just it's not just ticking a box. That's right. There's a lot of work before. As always, and what we love doing is talking about, well, what are the free ways that we can first get our webinar out there? We love talking about the free ways of doing things. And so let's look at what are the free ways, the free channels available to us to get our webinar out there. The first and most obvious one is, well, you probably have built some kind of email list. You've got an email database. Make sure that you email out the link to your webinar registration to your email database. 
Okay, George, but let's say I'm a new business owner and I don't have a, a massive email list. Obviously, I will try and use that, but maybe I only get like five, 10 signups through tapping into my existing email list. What do I do then? Yeah, okay, well, I'll take you to um, another another um, point of focus, Kevin, and that is look at the channel where your dream customers are Mm. and post there about it. So you might be on LinkedIn and you might have a little bit of a following on LinkedIn and make sure you let them know about your webinar. Okay, nice, nice. I've got another couple more, uh, maybe getting towards 20 signups now. Starting to look healthy, but I want a few more in a webinar. Yeah, or Kevin, I was worried you were going to, well, I wasn't worried. I was prepared in case you hit me back and said, you know what, George, I'm really just starting out and I don't even have anyone following me really on LinkedIn who would want to attend this thing. I mean, that's certainly true for me, but uh, what about your clients or maybe some of uh, my Metagy clients? (laughs) Well, Kevin, the next point that I was going to raise is who are you actually doing your webinar with? right? Mm. Who is, yeah, who is appearing on your webinar? Your webinar should be um, held by you or someone else. And the people on it should be people from your dream 100. So complimentary businesses who each have their own audience. Mm. And by doing this webinar with them, it's essentially partnership marketing, isn't it, Kevin? You're exposing their audience to your brand and your audience to their brand. And that would work with specialists that we have on for webinars as well, wouldn't it? You mean for us, Kevin? Oh, well, just generally, hypothetically, if if someone's running a webinar, if they have some experts that they're interviewing in a webinar or getting insights from, the experts audience is also another uh, another pool of people that you can tap into. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Great point. So even if you're starting um, at very close to zero, if you're, if you're, hosting that webinar, there's always a way of at least getting your first bunch of attendees. I know that traditionally performance channels, so your pay channels online, you're really trying to drive uh, you know, sales, conversions, but you can use those for, for this pur- purpose as well, can't you? Yeah, this is about, um, for those who are a little bit further down the track, it's really about turbocharging the amount of people who see that you're holding a webinar and you can do that with with paid search, right, Kev? Probably, again, the best avenue for this is LinkedIn or Facebook. LinkedIn in particular, because you could target people by position, by industry, by company size. Um, so if you're holding a webinar, there's a good idea you know, or you should know really who it's for. And then you can target those people on LinkedIn with some ads and drive registrations that way. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Um, and how many how many days, weeks should I be running this sort of activity before a webinar? Yeah, I think for the organic side, we find that from two weeks out from the event is uh, normally kind of the best place to start. And then your paid traffic, uh, normally about a week out mm. so is, quite close. is where we find the sweet spot is. Yeah, because then you, you get to um, conserve your budget there as well, right? You get to use it in a short, sharp sprint. Um, the people who are interested, they're more likely to go ahead and click, uh, and, and register. There's no point really hitting the same person with come to our webinar five different times. Um, normally if they're going to take the action, they're going to do it in that, in that first couple of instances. Yeah. That sounds like a good balance, not too fast so that they've forgotten that it's on when it actually comes on and then not too close that they've been booked out with something else. One to two weeks. Nice. Yeah, and then, uh, Kev, the real magic is what you do after the webinar. Ooh, 
All right, tell me, George. Okay, so we've got all these people who've attended our webinar. They probably get to know you and your partners a little bit better. We've got a list of of email addresses. Are we just going to leave them there like that? Is that all we're going to do, Kevin? Seems a bit cold. <laughs> it is. It is. It is a little bit cold. It is a little bit cold. What we want to do is we want to have a funnel on the back end of this, so they become a lot more familiar with our brand. We might not get them all the way to a purchase or to a free demo, but at the very least, we want them to have a deeper association with our brand. And the best way to do that, Kevin, as always, is by offering value. Right. That's what we always talk about, Kev, is be helpful, offer value. So listeners, what can you do after your webinar has been hosted to offer those people value? Well, Kev, there might be some people who didn't get to attend to your webinar because they had something come in last minute at lunchtime and they just couldn't make it. Or there might be some people who are only kind of semi-tuning in or their kids are running around under their desk mucking around and they, they didn't get to listen to every word you said. Or maybe there's some people who were listening and thought, that's an awesome point. If only my boss were here or my colleague were here to listen to that. So a great follow-up is to attach the slides or a great short one-page summary of what was discussed in the webinar in a follow-up email. Nice. Well, what are your, what are your views about recording the whole webinar and sharing that as well? Yeah, that's another fantastic thing to do and a great thing to then actually host on your website too, right? So people can come back and look at that later. Um, it also helps position you again as an expert on that particular topic. Would you then look to rerun that webinar? Like you've already obviously recorded it already. Would you look to you know replay it and maybe redo the, the question and answer section at the end, but keep the, the bulk of the webinar the same? Yeah, Kev, the awesome part about recording your webinar and then hosting it on your own site is then you can then package that up and you can rerun it again at a later date and it's already been recorded with a, with a whole new audience. Yeah, that's a good point because obviously a lot, of, a lot of stuff might be seasonal and you might want to update, but definitely there's certain topics in any industry where it's like basic knowledge and for new people coming into that industry, into that space, they might need that um, fresh perspective for the first time six months down the track from when you actually ran it first. Yeah, yeah. I, we've been we've got a little bit... A little bit sidetracked. It's a really, really good point. Um, I just want to get back to we've run the webinar. We've sent a follow-up email with um, really like a, a great one-pager for people to share around their company, share with their colleague or their boss, and also as a great reminder as to what was spoken about. What we tend to do is then wait a couple of days and then send another email to those same people who attended the webinar. Uh, again, attach the summary in case they missed it. And try and also include in there something of value that your company can offer that they might really like. It might be a link to a resource that they've built, that you have built, that might be really helpful to them. It might be some articles on their page that you think would really benefit that particular group of people. But do something to try and bring them back to your page, back to your brand. Okay, so how long would you run that for after a webinar is done? Or is, it, is that something that's worth testing from industry to industry? Yeah, it varies industry to industry. Um, there's normally one more email that we tend to, to, to send after that. And uh, it's one where we try and include something that has a real call to action beyond this. And that normally has a play on some kind of scarcity. So what's your 
eventual goal here. It might be that you're trying to drive a, a free demo or a free consultation or something. And you might say, um, you know, from this date to this date, whoever registers here from our webinar attendees, you get to get a free demo or a free consultation. And we find that that's a really good way of uh, getting people to take action, right? They've really come to trust your brand because they've seen you on a webinar, you've sent them useful resources, they've probably spoken about your brand with other people, and then they might be ready at that point to take some action, which might be in the form of a free demo or a sales call, whatever it might be. Yeah, nice one. All right, I'm gonna start uh, pretending to be a client and tripping you up <laughs> at every sentence, George. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think you make a really good point that that whole webinar, um, it's not just about the webinar, it is a process uh, of building a relationship with each of you, your attendees, your audience members, and then using that as a way to build a community and then ultimately leads and customers for your business. All right, Kev, um, I'm a visual person, so I might have tripped up maybe a few times there. I think I got most of it out on what we typically tend to recommend uh, when it comes to webinars, but I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll release a um, one or two page template for people with this webinar funnel and um, we'll host it at the b2bplaybook.com. Yeah, it'll make a lot more sense on a one page slide uh, when it's visual and it's just a nice flow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're here to try and make your life easier. So I think that's something that would be useful for you guys and I'd love to love to share it with you. But definitely listeners, if you get the chance, try a webinar. They're, they're a lot more powerful than you think. Definitely more powerful than offline seminars were in the old days. Yeah. Yeah. No, love a, love a webinar. I think we'll do some of our own eventually, Kev. What do you reckon? Well, I've... If people can put up with my face, then sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe we have uh, faces that are made for podcasts more than for um Yeah, they, they used to say, you know, radio face. Yeah, face yeah. for radio. It's, uh... It could be a podcast <laughs> face now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> At least we used, in the B2B playbook, we used our faces on top of the bobbleheads um, for our podcast cover art. So, right. We're showing our faces, we're hiding our bodies. And really in the webinar, like you don't need to see our body. No. <laughs> maybe maybe we can do some makeup touch-ups before the webinar just to... Uh... <laughs> yeah, maybe fiance Christine can give us a hand. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kev, enough about webinars. The next part is native. Can you please remind the listeners what native is? Every time I see the word native, my brain just skips a little bit and i have to think about what it is again yeah definitely uh it's probably not one that a lot of people are familiar with even in the the general marketing space um it is becoming more and more important and more and more popular basically it's just pieces of content that look native um in quotation marks native to uh the website uh, or the content website that you're already on. So for example, if you're reading the news, news.com, anything like that, and you see a lot of recommended articles and small tiles towards the bottom of that article, and they look like just other articles on news.com, but sometimes you end up on another, web another website when you click through to those. And then two hours later, you're on a site that you have no idea how you landed on, but <laughs> you're still reading a piece of content that's really interested, interesting to you, but it's got nothing to do with what you started on uh, on news.com. That's, that's what effectively native advertising is. It's those little tiles that look 
like just another article, another piece of content on the same website that you normally go to, um, but which take you somewhere else. And it's still a relevant piece of content. And it's just a, a paid way of reaching a slightly wider pool of people who are maybe not ready to buy certain things that don't have that level of intent. But that's where native advertising comes in. It helps those readers engage with a piece of helpful content that you've put out there. And they can then learn a little bit more about what you're talking about and what your brand is about. Yeah, so I think as we said a few episodes ago, Kev, it, it, it's not just those ads down the bottom for like belly fat loss. No, or, no, it's uh, definitely not. It's yeah, magical pills. Yeah, um, the way the way to do it probably is to have um, something of real value. And it's as if you're treating it as just another channel to push out your really helpful content. Like you're not getting as much reach as you like to in your organic channels. And native is a great way to push that out if you're already a content-based business, which most B2B businesses should be. Yeah, great point. So we put this in the in the uh, really advanced chapter, which is what Be The Best is. It is another paid channel, but we put this in the advanced chapter because it is normally a platform that is traditionally used by the much bigger guys, right? And that's some of the fun of this chapter is we're trying to take what the bigger guys are doing and we're showing you small and medium-sized guys that you can do this without the huge budget. That's right. I think uh, there's a lot more competition in this space now in terms of the platforms you can actually do it on. So some of the big names um, include Taboola, um, Verizon, and Outbrain, and even even Microsoft Audience on Bing. That is another type of native advertising. So a lot more channels in the space now, not a lot more providers, which means the costs come down. Sure, competition goes up a little bit. Um, but some of the minimum spends are a lot less than what they used to be. I'll link some of those platforms that uh, provide native services uh, in the show notes, um, but maybe it's easier if I contextualize the power of native with a few examples. Yeah, that'd be handy. Thank you, Kevin. Examples are key. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, so the first one comes from both our times back in agency land from an insurance provider. Now they were pretty big, um, but they were actually, they didn't have a huge budget for advertising compared to the bigger players in the space. So they had to be quite careful with where they spent the money and quite strategic on how they spent that money. And one of the channels that we got the best results for was native advertising. Now this company, the way that we worked for them was we purely worked on business insurance. so definitely in the B2B space and only selling to businesses and mostly small to medium-sized businesses. So really relevant to listeners, hopefully your businesses and those that you work in. So what we did was we started exploring native and putting the best pieces of content that they were putting out there that were most helpful to the small and medium-sized businesses that they were targeting. And we used native to amplify the reach of that piece of content. So on native, like most paid channels, you can target based on uh, interests, demographics, and things like that. And particularly, what else is that audience reading? Because that's the way native works. It's looking at what else is that user reading and serving those ads on those sites. So we were actually able to target very specifically people looking at a particular type of uh, insurance cover. Uh, maybe they're looking at um, natural disaster cover. At the time, New South Wales here, we were going through the bushfire, so a lot of people were searching in that space and putting out content about the basics of what you should look for and getting that sort of cover for a small business. That piece of content was really helpful and 
that was something that got a lot of traction through Native because you can reach a bigger pool of businesses that are actually interested in a particular topic. Like it's harder to get that on LinkedIn, for example, George. Yes, you can target companies, company size and occupations, but that level of intent around what other content they're interested in and what they're looking at and searching that's really hard to get on LinkedIn sometimes. And Native provides that um, in a really, really powerful way. So that's just one example. You can also choose which websites your ads appear on too, right, Kev, or the kinds of websites that you appear on. Because one of the benefits of native advertising is your ad can take advantage of how people perceive the brand or the website that your ad appears on, right? So if you're on a news publication, um, or somewhere else that people trust to, to get information from, then when they see your ad there, then that looks like that you're associated with the values of that particular website. Yes, definitely. Uh, placements, um, <laughs> lingo for which sites you put uh, your content on, that's definitely a big bonus for native as well, being able to place your ads or your content on certain sites that you want to appear on. And did you guys ever do remarketing as well with native, Kev? We did do remarketing, but not as much with, with these guys. Some of the ones that we did uh, do more native remarketing. I mean, I can go on to another example here, I think. Actually, hold on, hold on, hold on. First of all, what's remarketing, Kev? <laughs> In case people don't know what remarketing is. It's, it's a bit more marketing lingo. Yeah, no problem. Uh, with remarketing, it's effectively feeding into these platforms a list of all the people that have been to your site have interacted with your site a certain way or maybe purchased something from you and then showing a certain piece of content that's specific to that audience. Now, why would you want to do that? Maybe it's easy to understand if it's just a visitor who hasn't converted because you can just call out new benefits to that audience. Um, but if it's already an existing customer and you want to keep them and retain them, then native becomes another really powerful channel for you to do that because you serve relevant content to that audience. You already know a bit about them and their business and you can segment that out and you can serve them a piece of content that's specifically relevant to them. So they keep building this uh, relationship with your brand that, hey, these guys actually know what they're talking about. They're giving me the best insights and I'm seeing them out in the wide, wider web. Um, they're actually talking about the stuff that's relevant to me. So I'm going to stay with them. Yeah, that's a really good point about how it's not just acquisition, it's about retention to Kev. And again, the reason that we're bringing it up in this in this chapter within our framework is because it is something that's accessible to small, medium-sized businesses, right? You can start on a pretty small budget and do this just like the big guys can. Yeah, that's right. You can learn a lot about your audience and what kind of content responds well. This is just another channel to do that in. Maybe a couple of examples to highlight just how powerful it is in a smaller business context or niche market context. This actually worked well with some of our clients in our time at agency and as well in George's um, own agency now. Um, it also works for things like if you're selling pharmaceuticals and it's more education piece around the benefits of a particular drug. It was actually really hard to, to basically sell that sort of stuff online because a lot of the platforms have restrictions around what you can and can't advertise. Even if it's really uh, benign stuff, just talking about the benefits of a drug and conditions and what to watch out for in those conditions, even that sort of content is really hard to put out there. So native is one of the ways that you can really do that and, and be specific to an audience and be sensitive to that audience as well. So the native platforms are a little more fast and loose in terms of um, 
in terms of what they let you say there? Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe. But I think, you know, if you put out a, a really scammy or like a bit a bit questionable piece of content, that's really not going to perform anyways. Um, and no one's in the market to do that. But it is one of those channels where you can put out some really helpful information for people that need it um, in an online space that is maybe in some ways a little too heavily regulated because they've had to do it with algorithms which just blanket rule out a lot of sectors and industries. And I liked what you said there, Kev, how, again, like when you ask yourself, what should I put in my native ad? Like, well, what should I even say in it? Yeah, your headline should probably create a little bit of intrigue, but ultimately that resource should be helpful. Otherwise, like, what was the point in it? Why else would someone come back and return to you again? Yeah, definitely. You know, we're not trying to trick people. It's it's about helping them. Yeah, and it's it's just another one of those channels, sort of like webinar, where um, it's it gives you more avenue to be helpful because it's a different touch point. Um, it's less of a direct sell. And it even works for things like uh, charities that we've worked with in the past who really need um, buy-in from the ultimate donor that they're, they're trying to get donations um, from to educate them about, hey, what do we, what it is that the charity stand for and what they do within that charity and using pieces of content that uh, extend that interaction point so that it's long enough for a potential customer to actually understand all those nuances which are needed for b2b business relationships yeah i mean i i can say that i've, I've seen it for the clients that i've worked with this this stuff works and it's if you're up to this part in your marketing journey it's well worth exploring yeah and one that's uh, not as well known as some of the main channels that people are quick to write off Okay, Kev, so, so far we've covered off on funnels uh, as one part. Then we looked at webinars, spoke about that for quite a while. Hopefully people got some really good stuff out of there. We covered native and now the next advanced tactic that we're talking about is co-ops and which is really just another word for partnerships, which is another word for Kevin. Dream 100. Dream 100. It's about activating your Dream 100. Again, you might want to call it, I guess, affiliates. But anytime you say affiliates, people tend to say that there should be some exchange of money involved. And I want to dive into that a little bit further, Kev. I mean, there's both non-financial and financial incentives to make your Dream 100 your best business partners, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Up until this point in the previous episodes, we talked about it in the context of building the Stream 100 without money, really, without monetary incentives. We talked about providing them helpful content as well. We've talked about exchanging that value um, in terms of the content and the brand association between your business and your complementary partner businesses. We haven't talked about monetary incentive yet. Right, because I mean, at its core, what it's doing is it's exposing... Uh, your partner's customers or potential customers to your brand and doing the opposite thing or the same thing for them, right? That's so you're right. really exchanging your audiences and providing them both with value. That is like a fantastic thing to to continue doing, right? While you have a wonderful working relationship with that person within that Dream 100 in that company that, that you've been working with to do all that fantastic work with, like that should all continue on going beyond just, I guess, like that, that verbal agreement or that feeling of, you know, let's support each other in this industry as complementary businesses. It often really makes sense to take it 
that relationship a step further and look at really rewarding these partners monetarily, right? Giving them some kind of financial incentive to go ahead and recommend your brand. Yeah, giving them, in, in essence, an unparalleled incentive to be your business's best partners and to be really focused on promoting your business. Right, so that might look like uh, offering them a commission for every new client that they refer to you. Yeah, it might be a revenue share scheme where for a certain percentage of the income comes in. So not a commission base, but like a certain percentage of intake from a, a particular customer goes to them. Yeah, I think it has to be something that ultimately works well for both parties. It's got to be enough um, for them that they continue to to recommend you and go above and beyond to do so. And it's got to work for you and your bottom line too. What our listeners really need to think about is, well, what are they prepared to acquire a new customer? And you should be prepared to at least pay that. Yeah, break-even point is is really important for growth. Um, and over the long run, that will help you grow. So listeners, you know I, I always talk about the Dream 100 and I love it because it is, you know, uh, something that can be used really well as a free channel. But remember, it can be a paid channel too, right? We, we said that with the Dream 100, uh, we mentioned a few episodes ago, you can either work your way in to your Dream 100 and their audience, or you can buy your way in. Turning your uh, Dream 100 into affiliates is where you transition from uh, working your way in to buying your way in. Yeah, making that all a bit more of an and. Earning your place um, there with your partners as well as paying for that and rewarding them as they should be. Cool. I'm excited to dig into that one uh, in a future podcast, Kev. I think uh, I'm thinking just off the top of my head, there's some people who I'd like to get on the podcast um, to really speak about from experience how it's worked for their own brands and the awesome success that they've had. Definitely. There's a lot of great examples there. All right, Giles, the next one is lead magnets. This is a, a really big one in terms of the the results you can get from it, but as well as that the resource investment you have to put behind it to get some of these off the ground. But having said that, it's effectively just an extension of putting out helpful content and being helpful to your audience. It's uh, and we'll rattle off some examples or more interesting examples we've seen um, ourselves in the space or we've done. Um, but really, it's about putting out a piece of content that is so engaging and so helpful for your audience that they're willing to give something back in return, whether that's an email address, whether that's engagement on your website or your social channels, or even a customer or a new customer that you've acquired. Yeah, it's turbocharging your content a little bit, isn't it? It's going normally going beyond just text on a page. And as you said, Kev, doing something to make it more engaging so people are willing to give up some kind of personal information uh, in exchange for it. I guess it's that being helpful stage at its maximum form, basically. Yeah, maybe we can just rattle off um, a couple of the types of lead magnets that... Um, it might be a little bit more advanced, some that are a little more standard so the listeners can get their head around what the lead magnets are. And then, as you said, Kev, dig into some some cool real-world examples. Okay, Kev, just to rattle off a few uh, lead magnets, which do range in terms of investment. Um, you know, for your industry, you might be able to create like a useful calculator. You might be able to create a, a quiz that, that's really helpful. Uh, you might be able to create an ebook. Uh, that's probably a, a much bigger one. Um, white papers is a very popular one in the B two B, in the B two B sphere. 
He used to be infographics uh, a little while back. People loved an infographic. Yeah. I mean, there's like modern versions of that, right? You've got your moving charts where they sort of track progress of company sizes or revenue over time. And you've got, you know, Coca-Cola versus Pepsi going at it uh, through the ages. Um, (laughs) That's all all pieces of... uh, you know, in some form, it is a league magnet because people get interested, they watch it, they they might engage and comment on that and share that. Um, and yeah, that's that's all really cool stuff. The main thing to keep in mind with these, Kev, is like there has to be value on the other side, right? This lead magnet has to have some value um, for it for it to be useful and for people to be willing to exchange their email for it. A hundred percent. If you're selling pharmaceuticals uh, or if you're selling paper to businesses, they don't care what Coca-Cola did in the 80s in terms of the growth <laughs> yeah. size. It's got to be relevant. It's got to be helpful. If you're selling paper, maybe it's, you know, what what sort of, uh, maybe it's a quiz about what sort of um, paper is best for particular types of tasks or how much you should have on hand for how much printing you need to do. And it's just a simple quiz that helps people figure out, okay, how much am I meant to actually buy here? Yeah, I, I love it. I want to get more into the psychology um, of quizzes, Kevin, because they are working so well at the moment. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's something I'd love to explore later on. But yeah, great, great little overview of the different types of lead magnets um, that people can put together. And as we said, it does vary in terms of investment and resources required to make them, but certainly not beyond really any of the listeners here. No, uh, you'd be surprised how how high quality and how quickly you can get something like this produced um, either on a platform like Upwork or Fiverr or uh, tapping into like free already built tools on a platform like Envato. And it's just a matter of finding the right tool that applies to your business. Yeah. And uh, you might even be able to look internally at your own pitch decks that you've created, resources you've created internally that are just sitting around. How can you repackage those up? They probably have useful information um, that are useful to prospective customers. How can you package those up into a lead magnet and uh, share that with people? Yeah, finding that sweet spot between uh, what's proprietary <laughs> or intellectual, uh, you know, property versus something that's just really procedural that you use every day in your business. But uh, maybe all your clients would love to have that. Like recently, George, you put out your content planner, and that's. That's in a way is a is a lead magnet. I mean, for us, we really just wanted to give back as a value add to our members in our LinkedIn group. But that in itself is also a lead magnet. Yeah, that's right. It's something that we created for ourselves. It was it was done internally, and I was like, oh, this is something that a lot of people could actually find really useful. And what do we want to do, Kev, with the B two B playbook? We just want to really be helpful. And the content schedule will fit that bill. So that's why Definitely. I just shared it in there. All right, George, I think we've got quite a few other tactics and strategies that we really want to dig into a bit more, but we're running out of time on this episode. So we might have a part two to be the best. Yeah, you can go so deep on each of these parts. And I, I really am looking forward to delving into into the details more. Hopefully, we've given our listeners enough that if one of these piques their interest in particular, they can go through and explore that um, right now and take action on it. But yeah, looking forward to diving into each of these in more detail in the future. As usual, you can find links to all the things we've discussed in this episode in the show notes. Thank you, Kevin. And we'll cover off the rest of these 
uh, tactics and strategies in our episode next week. Cool. Well, thank you, Kevin, for always diligently updating the show notes um, with all the great helpful resources for our listeners. Those show notes are also on the b2bplaybook.com. So if you go to podcasts and click on the episode, they're all there and hyperlinked there too because uh, sometimes it's a little annoying if you're looking at show notes on your on your phone. So make sure you check out the b2bplaybook.com. Thank you again, Kevin, and thank you again, listeners. Thank you for uh, for tuning in. Please uh, feel free to drop into our LinkedIn group, the B2B Marketing Club. We'd love to see you there. Cheers, team. See you next week. Thanks, guys. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at the b2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook, the easier way to champion your business online.